the state of Minnesota. Uh, Ms. Nelson, you reserve five minutes for rebuttal. You may proceed when you're ready. Good morning. May it please the court, counsel. I'm Julie Nelson, and I represent the appellants Avante Townsend and her appeal from her conviction for simple robbery. The issue before this court is one of statutory interpretation. Does the plain language of the simple robbery statute require the state to prove that a robber's use or threat of force overcame another's resistance or compelled another's acquiescence in the taking or carrying away of the property? The answer to that question is yes. That is how the statute reads, and that is what the legislature intended. Therefore, because Ms. Townsend did not overcome the store clerk's resistance or compel his acquiescence in the taking or carrying away of the liquor bottle, her conviction for simple robbery must be reversed. Over, overcome in this instance. Using the plain language of the um, of dictionary definition, essentially. If we're going to look at the plain language of a statute, uh, this court will look first to the dictionary. And American Heritage Dictionary says overcome means to defeat another in competition or conflict. Uh, to compel acquiescence is the combination of compel, the definition of compel, and acquiescence. And it means to cause or bring about by force or threats a person's passive assent or acceptance. And that is the first thing that we need to determine here when we're looking at statutory interpretation is the language of the statute to determine whether or not it's, it's ambiguous or unambiguous. A statute is um, unambiguous if the letter, if the legislature, excuse me, the legislative intent is clear from the state's plain language. Um, and again, we look to the rules of grammar um, and the common and approved usage of the words. Counsel, if I may, if we adopt your interpretation that in essence you have to have been successful, your client had to have been actually successful in taking the liquor, how do we square that with um, Solomon, for instance, our, our Solomon decision, which tells us that uh, the taking and carrying away, uh, even if it's only temporary, temporary, if you get it, if she, you have it for a moment, as she did, as your client did in this instance, that that's sufficient to, to satisfy the simple robbery statute. How do we square those? Okay, a couple things, Your Honor. First of all, I am not arguing that because she did not successfully get away with it, that she's not guilty. I am arguing that she was not guilty because she did not overcome the clerk's resistance or compel his acquiescence in the taking or carrying away. But what's the difference? That seems to me to be slicing the onion pretty thinly because if you, they, they seem to be the, the same thing to me, effectively. Okay, and, and, it's, and here's why it's not. And first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take out the taking language because I think we can all agree that she took the bottle of liquor off the shelf. So I'm just going to talk about carrying away today. But in Solomon, what happened was the robber went in and held a gun to the clerk's, at the clerk and said, give me the cash drawer. The clerk gave the robber the cash drawer. At that point, the robber had compelled acquiescence in the taking. Okay? And then if he took a step or two away, he carried it away as well. He was not successful, however, because he saw the police outside, dropped the cash drawer, and ran. His voluntary dropping of it did not stop the completion of the simple robbery that had occurred after he had taken it from the clerk. And this, in, in Solomon's, a little bit of a weird case because he was charged both with aggravated uh, uh, robbery as well as attempted aggravated robbery. But this court found that based on the facts of Solomon, that he could have been found guilty of aggravated robbery and not just attempted. Counsel, I'd like to um, ask you, uh, and I'd like to ask opposing counsel this question as well, about the intersection of this case and your proposed interpretation of it with the attempt statute. Uh, because I think you argue in your brief that um, this may leave us with really nothing that is, that is an attempt statute. So I'd like to have you address that point, if you would, please. Exactly correct, Your Honor. That is, that is the problem with reading into the statute that to overcome or to compel means in order to. Um, it basically reads in, you can just attempt to use force to commit this robbery and assuming that, and that's, and that's sufficient. And that's not what we're talking about here. The definition of attempt 
is the intent to commit a crime and taking a substantial step towards doing so. That's what we have here in this case. She certainly intended to, to rob the store, and she certainly took a substantial step towards doing so. So she attempted it, but because she did not overcome or compel acquiescence, she did not complete so, the robbery. So I, I, I think you're probably right that the interpretation the state would urge here limits the reach of the attempt statute, but it may not occupy the entire field. So, for example, couldn't you have someone who actually makes an attempt but, but doesn't complete it, or um, does it in fact completely occupy the field? It doesn't completely occupy the field, but it certainly does limit it su substantially, the, the, uh, in which, which scenarios you, could act, you would attempt a simple robbery. Council, um, one problem that I have with um, holding that an actor must use sufficient force to actually overcome a person is that it seems like we're shifting the focus from the conduct of the defendant to the conduct of the victim. Because you could have a, a defendant using the same amount of force with victim A. Let's say the defendant grabs the person's arm to get the purse, and um, the victim thinks, my goodness, I'm just going to give my purse because I don't want to get hurt. And then you have another victim who's thinking, there's no way a person grabbing my arm is going to get my purse. I mean, it seems odd to me, and I think under the definition that you're proposing, that that could be a different result, it, despite it, the actor doing the exact same thing. It could be a different result, but putting the, looking at the entire event um, and looking at how a victim responds is not new. Um, for example, recently this court decided in state, I think it's State v. Rogers, which came out this year, that for the first degree burglary statute, um, the victim must be present because they, we have to see whether or not they perceive the, the, um, the weapon as being dangerous. So we don't necessarily say, well, we're not going to look at what a victim does or how they respond. Also, frankly, if you do decide it my way, um, it would disincentivize any victim from trying to go after and reclaiming property because the, if they don't overcome or compel acquiescence, then they're guilty of an attempted robbery, a simple robbery, whereas they actually just say, okay, fine, you've compelled my acquiescence, now they're guilty of a simple robbery, an actual simple robbery, a higher level offense than just an attempt. So I think we can look at, we need to look at the entire event. Counsel, I just want to ask you about the facts. So, and, and why the facts, I mean, even if we adopt your interpretation, why isn't the evidence sufficient here? And what I'm getting at is the um, attempt to bite, mm -hmm. where your client said something to the effect that I'm going to bite you. And in response to that, the employee backs off. And as a result of the threat to, to bite, then, your client's able to advance some distance away with the vodka bottles. Mm -hmm. So why isn't that enough, even under your definition? Okay, a couple of reasons. First of all, physical, re physical release is not the same thing as compelling acquiescence. If we look at the different definition of compel acquiescence, what are we talking about? Again, we're talking about bringing about a person's passive assent or acceptance by use of force or threats. What happened in this case? Clerk's got Ms. Townsend up against a wall. She threatens to bite him. He recoils. That's what the district court found. He testified. I let go. Letting go is not the same thing as assenting to her carrying away the liquor bottles. And we know this for a couple reasons. First of all, he didn't testify that he had been overcome or that he acquiesced. In fact, what he testified to is, I re-engaged her. And when they were leaving, what was his frame of mind when they actually got out onto the sidewalk and they're still doing the tug of war over the purse? What is she yelling? She's yelling, let me go, let me go. And what does he say? He says, not until you give me those bottles back. So his frame of mind was in no way, I'm letting you go. I acquiesce. You can just carry these away. The district court also never made a finding that he was overcome 
or that he um, his acquiescence. But was how compelled. far away does your client? I mean, how far does your client have to move the vodka bottles in order to have carried them away? Well, according to the Court of Appeals, and I would say that the legal definitions comport with it, a few steps. But we're not talking about. Or but didn't that distance. happen here? I mean, didn't your client, after your client threatened to bite the employee and the employee essentially does this, didn't your client walk at least a few steps with those vodka bottles? But she didn't, she didn't overcome or com- his resistance or compel acquiescence in that carrying away. Because of what the engaged. employee did later? I'm sorry, excuse Because me. of what the employee did later? Immediately thereafter, yes. We need to look at the entire event to determine what happened here. I also think what's well, can really I, important... Can I just ask one more question oh, on that? Please. What do we make about the district court's order where she only, the district court, uh, only talked about one bottle uh, and didn't talk about the other, the other bottles? So the findings, in the, the findings that the district court made didn't have any discussion of kind of the, the getting of the additional bottles uh, in this case. And so d- does that help or hurt your, hurt your climate? How, how do we deal with the fact that the district court didn't get to that issue. You mean in terms of the bottles that were taken out subsequently? In her written order. They don't, okay. she, yeah. So I, the facts here aren't in dispute. I don't think either party is arguing that the district court made any erroneous findings. Certainly the district court did not make particularly thorough findings. And so, well, made no findings about any bottles except the one that fell on the ground before she tried to walk away. But this court can look at the rest of the record, the rest of the trial testimony to fill in those blanks. Or um, alternatively, I guess, make the decision on what does it mean to overcome and send it back, remand it for further findings um, after this court rules. Um, One of the things I would really like to, to focus this court's attention on, though, is the language of the statute. Because... The middle of the statute, we talk about force to overcome the person's resistance or powers of resistance to or to compel acquiescence in. That language is really important. It has to have meaning. Here's my question. Counsel, before we go there, can I ask a question about the injuries that were caused to um, the victim? What, what, how does that interplay with the argument that you're making? The sprained ankle, the torn shirt, the ripped off necklace. I don't think it has any bearing on um, this argument. It's, it's evidence that there was a physical altercation, he was injured, uh, but I, I don't think that that shows that he necessarily, his, he was defeated, or that he acquiesced to Ms. Townsend's taking away of the liquor bottle. So what if um, we change the facts a little bit, and let's just say that the employee chased after um, the defendant, but the defendant then swung the bottles and knocked the knocked the victim out but the victim but the defendant then dropped the the bottles and didn't take them any further and left the scene how would that impact your argument then she's guilty of simple robbery because she has overcome his powers of resistance and this is exactly what the committee comment talks about the committee comment talks about two different ways of 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 a simple robbery using threat uh i'm sorry using force to either um knock the victim out, as you said, um, and take a wallet, that would be his powers of resistance were thereby overcome. Alternatively, the robber might throw the person up against the wall and take his, take his wallet. And in that instance, the force was simply used to overcome resistance raised. Then when threats are being used and not force, that might be an in situation where we're talking about holding a gun to someone's head and saying, give me your wallet. You haven't used force, you used the threat of force, and now you've compelled acquiescence in the taking of it. And this, this language, this whole idea, this committee comment, this whole, everything in there is so important because that's what they talk about in the statute itself, is this language. If the state's interpretation is allowed to, if this court adopts the state's interpretation, then all of this language basically becomes redundant. Think about it. Why would someone use force for a simple robbery? They're going to use it to overcome someone's resistance, they're going to knock them out, or they're going to compel their acquiescence. What other reason is there? So if you're going to say they use the force in order to do one of these things, it makes that language redundant. Counsel, you're talking about comments to the criminal code that were made by a committee in 1963. 
what weight should we give to the comments of the committee? I mean, doesn't the statute speak for itself and isn't our ordinary rule? We just look at the statute. We don't look at the legislative or other history? Yeah, right. Your Honor, you do look at the statute itself in the plain meeting, and if this court finds that it's ambiguous, then you certainly can look at the comments. Then, then we look at the comments, Correct. but we first have to determine the statute's ambiguous. Correct. But I still believe that the comments here give us some insight into what that language means. And if it means in order to, then it makes all of that language completely redundant and superfluous, and, and, and you could just simply say they use force then. Well, Why not take all that out? If you're invoking the comments, then I think you're telling us the statute's ambiguous. Can you tell us what words in the statute are ambiguous? Okay, I, I am not saying that the statute is ambiguous. My position is that it is unambiguous. So I will, if I can, um, I'm simply using that as if you find it ambiguous, here's where I would turn you to. But I believe that the language of the statute and looking at regular grammar again, would simply say that if you make this say, if you say to overcome means in order to, one, you're adding words to the statute, which we don't do, and two, um, you're making that language redundant and unnecessary. And again, we don't do that. We want to give the legislature, the, legis the, the legis statute's language, all the statute's language meaning. And it doesn't if it means in order to. Why would a person use force in order to do one of these things? Well, of course they are. So in, in addition to that, really look at that language. It's not just to overcome the person's resistance, it's or the powers of resistance. Why does the legislature care whether they simply overcome resistance, you know, in a, in a brawl, or whether they knock them out? What difference could that possibly make if we're just saying they did it in order to? The only way to interpret this statute is to say that they had to overcome. They had to compel acquiescence. Um, and it, actually, Justice Hudson, I want to get back to a comment you had made, um, and I did not fully answer your question. You had talked about how in other cases we had, uh, the, this court has said that it's only a momentary, a moment of taking a pro uh, uh, holding property or moving it just a short distance, and isn't that sufficient here? Um, in this, in this court has made those, those holdings. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about whether or not it's a moment to overcome or to compel acquiescence, unless that's what this court is going to hold. But the prior courts, this court's prior holdings on that matter, and this matter has not been decided. So we've only decided it in terms of taking and carrying away. It has not been decided how long, um, someone must have their resistance overcome or their acquiescence compelled. And I would say, based on the definition, American Heritage Dictionary. Well, counsel, on that point, do we need to decide that, though? That seems to be um, uh, a, 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 an empty spot in your argument that's it, it, begging for some resolution. Don't we need to decide that? I would say yes. That's part of what this court will be making a decision about is what does that mean? What does it mean to overcome? What does it mean to compel acquiescence? And according to the ordinary definition of it, it's to defeat. To defeat. Um, so does that take you back to your discussion with the chief that even though once your client uh, <laughs> said I threatened to bite uh, the employee, he then recoiled briefly, but you're saying because he later re-engaged that we don't look at the first recoil. Absolutely, and it's not just later, it's immediately. He immediately <coughs> re-engaged her. He simply repositioned himself within a brawl. Um, letting go, letting someone physically go and re-engaging them is certainly not acquiescent, acquiescing to the taking of the liquor bottles. Now, he, he sat down and said, go ahead, then we would have acquiescence. But, 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 but counsel, Solomon says, even if, Solomon would say, I think, if you applied it directly, is that when he let go for that moment, your client had possession of the liquor bottle, even if it was for 10 seconds or 15 seconds or 30 seconds, and that that's enough. That's enough under the simple robbery statute. But the Solomon dealt with taking. So it was the taking of a cash register or cash drawer. This isn't taking. She took, Townsend took the bottle off the shelf long before she engaged with the clerk. There was no force or threat of force in the taking. It's only whether or not she did it in the carrying away. And the carrying away started as soon as she moved from the liquor store shelf. 
and started to move out. Now she's carrying it away. Right well, but to the, the statute says it can be taking or carrying away. Right. But Solomon talks only about taking, and that's why I don't think t Solomon uh, is, is uh, controlling here. And I agree in Solomon that Solomon was a simple robbery, a completed simple robbery, even though he, the thief did not get away with the cash for even though he gave it up when he saw the police. Same thing would be true here. If she had taken, gotten the purse, and she had overcome him, and turns around, there's a police officer, and she drops it, she's guilty of a simple robbery. What we have here is an attempt. So I would encourage this court, again, I want to look at the language of this uh, statute, the to overcome the person's resistance or powers of resistance to or compel acquiescence in, I do believe that becomes redundant if we say that this is in order to, for the purpose of. Why else would they use this force? What other reason is there to use this force? Counsel, let me ask one other question about some of our prior case law. I'm thinking, I think it was the Gatlin case where we affirmed a simple robbery where the victim chases goes after the, the, the individual. Maybe it's not Gatlin, but there's, there's some cases along that line. That would seem to be more in line with what the victim did here, according to your theory, because he re-engaged. Say that again, please. I'm sorry. I guess what I'm saying, I'm your, your position with the chief was, well, because he re-engaged, the, the victim re-engaged almost immediately, there was no acquiescence. But we have some case law, and again, I'm just, the name of the case is, is escaping me right now, where the victims give chase or, or continue. They're more involved, much like the victim was here, and we've held that that's still simple robbery. I, I, I guess I, I'm, trying to under, I'm trying to remember what case this would be, so I'm, I'm struggling Maybe with... it's the Brown case, where the victim sure. oh. laid himself oh. over the driver who was, who was trying to get away with... I think Similac. Thank or you, and Your Honor. Thank you, from, Justice Shudich. That's from your days on the Court of Appeals, I believe. I apologize. Um, yes. Um, in that case, yeah. He, in that case, the uh, clerk took uh, some baby formula from, or sorry, the the robber took uh, baby formula from the clerk, and then uh, drove, got into his car, and was driving off. Um, I absolutely, I actually believe that that is that was an incorrect holding. To be honest with you, um, I do not think that that was proper um, because he did continue the the resistance. He did not overcome them. Um, that that was not that that was improper. That should have been an attempted. I disagree with that holding. What about um, you know? It seems like providing a harsher punishment when any force is used, whether it's effective or not probably best protects the public, which I presume the legislature in making these gradations was interested in doing. I think that the legislature was interested in making it a felony if they actually overcame or compelled acquiescence. Um, use of force does elevate it, but that use of force has to do something. And if it doesn't do anything, then we're basically at a theft and an assault. Um, and so to get to the felony level, there has to be more. That's what the statute says. There has to be more. There are no further questions. I'm going to yield the rest of my time. Thank you, Counsel. You have five minutes for rebuttal. Mr. Schmidt. May it please the court, counsel, John Schmidt, assistant Hennepin County attorney and certified student attorney, Jolena Zabel, on behalf of the state of Minnesota. The plain language analysis in this case gets very complicated if we get in the weeds of the grammar, but taking a step back and looking from a 50,000 foot view to look at the context with the other theft crimes uh, and declaring, even if the court were to declare the statute ambiguous to determine the legislature's true intent, this analysis becomes much easier. Now, whether we're in the weeds or whether we step back and take a broader view, either way, this court should affirm. In my brief, I commented on the grammatically diagramming a sentence and about determining the plain language, and this was not meant to be a slight on opposing counsel uh, or her analysis. 
This was simply noting that if we go this deep into the weeds, then perhaps the statute is not unambiguous. Because this deep in the weeds, with this level of grammatical analysis, gets extremely complicated. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure that in 1963, the legislature was thinking about uh, adverbial infinitives. But nonetheless, the legislature, in my view, is intending to advance and draft, when drafting a statute, the legislature is drafting it for all the citizens in the state of Minnesota. So let's take the 50,000 foot analysis that you've suggested and let's go to the question I posed to uh, uh, your opposing counsel here. Um, have we so circumscribed attempt crimes if we adopt your interpretation? Um, I don't think we can say, as I said, that it's occupied the field, but is there really much left of an attempt if we buy your argument here? No, there is still left of an attempt because it's specific to the facts of this case. The moment that uh, the clerk let go, that is the completed crime of simple robbery. And, and the, the map of this store, at least of what was submitted at trial, was, was hand-drawn and not great. But when you walk into the Trader Joe's, the entrance to the grocery stores in front of you, the liquor store is on the side. There's a long hallway that goes out from where the liquor store is located to get to Excelsior Boulevard. That's where this scuffle ended, is on Excelsior Boulevard. So it continued from the liquor store down this hallway onto Excelsior. And at some point in that hallway, Townsend said, I'm gonna bite you, and actually tried to bite the clerk. And at that point, the clerk let go. In that moment, that is a completed simple robbery crime. Um, but again, stepping back. So counsel, in your view then, it doesn't matter that the clerk re-engaged only moments later, uh, according to your opposing counsel. In your view, that's irrelevant. That is irrelevant, yes. And it's irrelevant because this goes to what Justice Chudich had commented on, that this becomes a very victim-focused analysis. And that's, that, that also can't be what the legislature intended by drafting this statute. If, if we get into that, then we're looking at what is in the cage match of a simple robbery, who's gonna be the victor? So, so going back to my question then, Pre-threat to bite, that was an attempt? Correct. Yep. Before, before the threat of force at that point, um, it, actually even before that, she had yelled to her friend, get the mace. So arguably there's a threat even before that. But then the pre-mace pre comment, pre-said, I'm going to bite you, and pre-trying to bite you, at that point there's no use of force involved, and it's a scuffle, and you know, had, had she, at that point it's an attempt. Once he recoiled and let go, according to Solomon and the other cases, that is a completed simple robbery crime. But does the defendant have to do something after the employee lets go? Or is it enough that the employee... Doesn't the defendant have to move in some way so they're carrying away? I mean, uh, if, would it be, would it be a, an accomplished crime if... Uh, so the employee's pushing the defendant against the wall, uh, holding her there, and then uh, the defendant says, I'm going to bite you. And so the employee lets go, but the defendant doesn't move. The defendant just stands there for a couple seconds, and then the employee reengages. What have we got there? Do we have robbery or not? Yes, and, and because in, based on this court's case law, it, the use of force can be preceding or during. Uh, the taking away occurred as soon as she put the bottle in her purse and walked past the point of sale out of the liquor store. So she's already took the bottle. She's carried it away from the place where the bottle was out past the point of sale into the hallway. Uh, and but there then, was no force or threatened force in the taking. <laughs> nope. But the, the force and the threatened force then occurred within that uh, single behavioral incident going forward where she then threatened force as she's continuing to try to carry away. He lets go, according to Solomon, even a few seconds is enough. She had control and dominion over the property, even for those few seconds that he let go. That's where the crime was completed. So in your view, she, the defendant doesn't have to move at all? Well, the defendant With the did, bottles, after the employee lets go? After the employee lets go, no, okay. uh, because she has control and dominion. But I think the facts in this case do suggest that she did actually move after you let go, because they are going down that hallway from the liquor store to Excelsior. Counsel, you've said that we shouldn't be focusing on the mind of the victim. We should be focusing on the mind and actions of the perpetrator. So let me give you a hypothetical situation. I'm walking down the street with my briefcase, and a guy comes up and grabs it. And then he, he starts walking away with it and says, don't resist me as I carry away your briefcase. If you do, I'll shoot you with my finger. Has there been a simple robbery? 
Well, at that point, the finger is not a, a threat of force. I mean, that, that... It is in his mind. I suppose it is in his mind. Um, so I don't has he know. committed simple robbery if, I think if the focus is on the perpetrator? I, I would, in that scenario, I would say no, because it still has to be reasonable under the circumstances. And so if you're looking at what is a reasonable threat of that defendant in that circumstance, pointing your finger at somebody and said, I'll shoot you with my finger, that's not a reasonable threat. Well, it, just, it doesn't say reasonable. It just says uses or threatens the imminent use of force. And that's not an imminent use of force in that situation. It objectively that, is not. No. Okay. When you're pointing a finger at somebody and said, I will shoot you, there is no imminent use of force in that scenario. What if no. instead of a finger, it's a squirt gun? Uh, still probably not an imminent use of force. I mean, I suppose with a simple assault, you can assault somebody with a squirt gun, but um, it's, it's more likely to, if he says, I'm going to punch you, well, then we have an imminent use of force. What if he says, I'm going to spit on you? Again, that gets That's to be... That's an assault, isn't yep, it? Yeah, that gets to be a lot closer, and that could, that could be a simple robbery. What about the initial grabbing of the briefcase? Is sure. that use of force? Right. I mean, that, that is part of the, the analysis. When you go up and you grab a briefcase from somebody, you grab a purse from somebody, then you are using force to take that away from the person in order to get away with it. And this is where, in the context of the other theft crimes, it's important to look at the broader picture. Because if we look at the theft to simple robbery to aggravated robbery, if we get to theft, there's no person there, and there's no violence. When you get to simple robbery, you're adding a level of dangerousness, and you're adding a level of violence, because there's a person presence, present at that crime, and there's a violent act that occurs, or a violent threat that occurs in that. And then when you get to aggravated robbery, now we're into the world of bodily harm or a dangerous weapon being used. So it is elevating the dangerousness and the violence involved in those crimes as you move forward from theft to theft. Well, the position of the state of Minnesota is every purse snatching is a simple robbery? At that point, you have a person present. You are taking that away from the person, person by force. So arguably, yes. Now, whether it's well, charged I, that way. I'm not asking you what's arguable. I'm asking you if that's the state position. Yes. That is Every the person snatching is a, is a robbery. Because at that point, you have a person presence and you have a use of violence by taking something off from somebody's person. And, and it increases the level of dangerousness and it increases the net level of violence but doesn't from a the, theft crime. But what, I mean, I think this comes down, this kind of raises the question that the, uh, Ms. Townsend is raising, which is why, is why isn't the language just say use of force and saying instead of the legislature used more words than that, which is use of force to overcome or compel acquiescence. Sure. And so and in the argument you're making, doesn't that, doesn't that, as the defense, as Ms. Townsend argues, make those words redundant? No, it doesn't, because this is, now we're getting deep in the weeds on the plain language analysis. So if you look at the plain language of this statute, overcome is to overcome. That's an adverbial, uh, uh, adverbial infinitive. So the full infinitive of to overcome functions as the adverbial infinitive, and it's used to modify the previous verb, which is uh, the uses of force. So the, and also if you look at the, the if we're going very deep in the weeds, if you look at the def uh, dictionary definition of the word to, T-O, there's a lot of different uh, definitions for that, but one of them is the word functions to indicate it is an infinitive. So if you take that as an infinitive and you're using that to modify, then it explains the use of force that is necessary in that situation. But if in the purse, how are you overcoming resistance or, or compelling acquiescence in the purse snatching example? I mean, that's using force to take the purse, but how is the, doesn't that leave those other words if that's a if that's a civil robbery, doesn't that leave those other words irrelevant? Well, and it depends. So if the if the purse is just sitting next to the person, I think there's a different scenario between if the purse is sitting next to the person and somebody runs by and grabs it and runs away, versus if the purse is on somebody's body and somebody runs and takes it. But what if they don't them? resist? What if the guy? What if the person just takes the briefcase? Uh, I mean, doesn't that beg the question of what resistance is and? Sure, but again, this gets to be victim focused, and if we get into the well, victim, and on, yeah, go ahead, finish. Sure, if if we get into the victim focused analysis, then we start asking questions: Are how strong was this victim? 
was this because the strength of the victim is going to matter in that scenario because but, the, but isn't that true like take take murder as an example the difference between attempted murder and murder you shoot the same person someone because of their physical nature is going to die it's murder they recover because you know something happens it's attempted murder sure so that is very victim focused well, if the person dies or not is a very clear answer to that, of the person lives or the person dies, attempted or completed murder. With this situation, you have somebody carrying a briefcase, and if they're carrying a briefcase, depending on how strong they are, it's going to matter in terms of the analysis of whether the person can get away with it. Now, I, in, at least in the drafting of the statute, when you look at the, back to the plain language, it is whoever having knowledge. This is all defendant focus. This is about the defendant uh, taking personal property in the presence of another, using the defendant using or threatening imminent force, and then it's to overcome. So the to overcome gets back to describing the threat or the use of force. It's, it's the amount of force that is involved. Uh, and, and the word to, according to style manuals, can mean in order to. So we're not adding words to the statute by interpreting it in the way that I'm advocating. To can mean in order to. But if we adopt uh, Ms. Townsend's definition of overcome, to overcome, then we have to conjugate the word overcome differently. It would either be overcame which is part of what uh, the argument was today, overcame, which is not how the statute is written, or it would be um, uh, written completely different where you would say, add a comma and say, and overcomes the person's resistance. In either of those situations, then the appellant's argument is correct, that it is overcame, that there is a actual defeating of the victim involved. Uh, or and overcomes, again, there's more of a defeating involved in that. But to overcome, again, can be to, can be in order to, which uh, is according to style manuals, at least style manuals that are around today and maybe not in 1963, but the style manuals today say to can mean in order to. You know, I recognize that both uh, parties here argue that the statute's statute is not ambiguous. Um, so we wouldn't ne necessarily get to the 1963 committee comment, but uh, I would be interested in your response nonetheless. I guess I get to ask irrelevant questions, and maybe this is an irrelevant question, but um, I'd like to, I would like your position on that committee comment. We heard the argument from opposing counsel that that supports her view. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, well, I, I disagree with that, but I, I disagree with, with that um, the, the comment in general and taking the broader view uh, supports that. Because one, if you look at what the jury instructions have done since then, um, and again, the jury instructions are advisory, they're not binding on this court, but the jury instructions support the argument that the state is making, which is uh, these are the elements of simple robbery and overcoming, defeating a victim's uh, a victim in the circumstances isn't part of that analysis. Uh, and then looking at the context of how simple robbery fits within the other theft crimes uh, also supports our argument. Um, one uh, thing that I'd like to turn back to Justice Thiessen asked earlier is uh, about the district court's specific findings in terms of the bottles. Uh, the district court did make findings of fact in the order, and that's at the addendum of page one and two. And in uh, paragraph one of the addendum one says, placed multiple bottles of liquor in her purse. Um, paragraph two is about bottles. Throughout the findings of fact, it's always in the plural of bottles. Uh, at the end, in the conclusion, is correct, where the district court said, took at least one bottle. Now, at that point, this is one bottle that was remaining, at least my reading of this, is one bottle was remaining in the purse because one had already fallen out and fell into the uh, hallway and broke. Um, so with the district court's finding, I think it is sufficient to find that there were multiple bottles involved. Just to come back to the 30 or 50,000 foot level, whichever level we're at, altitude. Um, so none of those cases, Solomon and the other, actually addressed this particular statutory argument, right? This is an unresolved issue. So even though they reached a particular conclusion, the facts look similar, 
they're not binding in how we interpret the words of the, the words of the statute in this particular case. Well, in terms of overcoming to overcome, that language was not directly interpreted in Solomon or Thelenson Bin or the baby formula case. I don't think any of those cases talked about to overcome. Um, I think those cases at a minimum show that the court's not writing on a blank slate, that there is a lot of context already developed uh, in which to address this question. At, at best, I think it does answer the question because there is that second in time where she had control and dominion over the personal property, uh, if even for a few seconds. And that is in Solomon where that answers that question. So if you, if you take the cases, the grammar, and the facts, and apply the facts to this case, it's, it's clear that the elements are met. Number one, Townsend knew that she was not entitled to the bottles. Uh, she admitted those were not hers. Number two, she took the personal property in the presence of another. Um, takes is the action. In uh, this court has said Bowen is the personal property. Um, and the clerk was present. Number three, she threatened and used force to overcome the resistance. This adds the violence. Uh, and the threat is both the mace and the threat of the bite. And the actual use of force is the attempted bite. Uh, and it overcame because the clerk at that one moment let go and she had control and dominion over the property. So ha have we ever had a case that actually addresses the question of whether you look at that single instance of time or whether you should look at the whole, the whole action in a sense of overcoming resistance? I think one of the arguments Ms. Towns is making is even if it was for a few seconds, this was part of a, an entire action that, and this clerk never really gave up. Sure. So when do we have any, I mean. That's the baby formula case where the. Which is the Court of Appeals case. Uh, no. It nope. may have okay. been, yeah. So uh, within that case, yeah, they've continued pursuit on that. With Solomon and Thone Savin, uh, with those two cases, those are situations where the court has clearly said, if only a few seconds. And Solomon is an interesting one because in this, Justice Anderson, this goes to your question, where uh, confirmed or affirmed the attempted aggravated robbery. Uh, and with that, it, they said, but the facts of this case show that it was a completed aggravated robbery, but it also affirms the attempted. So in that instance, you had both attempted and completed but in, in, in Solomon. But in those cases, because I, 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 anyway, it's been a couple of days. In those cases, um, was there this situation, though, where the, it was completed and then there was a whole a, another set of resistance, in a sense? Um, I, not in Solomon, for sure, because uh, the, the robber at that point dropped the bag and dropped the gun because saw the police outside. Um, uh, I, I don't remember. Th uh, Thone Savin was about a motor vehicle theft, um, and the facts of that case were... Oh, they were just sitting there. They never really moved the car, right? That's, right, yeah. right. So that's slightly different, too. But in terms of, of those two cases, um, I don't know that there's that re-engagement that occurred in those cases, or at least I don't recall uh, that occurring. You're um, where I am, too. My memory <laughs> is not that good anymore. So. Uh, but it, it, it's also interesting in Solomon, and Justice McKaig, this goes to your point, with the um, aggravated robbery that existed in there, there was bodily harm. This actually could have been charged as an aggravated robbery because there is evidence here of bodily harm. His shirt was ripped. His necklace was torn off. He sprained his ankle. Um, this isn't a case of overcharging that it should have been theft or should have been attempted. This is a situation where they looked at these facts and charged simple robbery, which was correct and should be affirmed. Is it the state's position that this case is about the taking element or the carrying away element? Uh, good question. Uh, it seems to have evolved since the Court of Appeals argument, and, and I don't, I didn't, and I said this in the brief, that it's not, I don't claim that they waived the argument that's before the court. I think the issue that is before the court now is the to overcome language. But uh, to overcome what? Taking or carrying away? To overcome, uh, well, it's the, I suppose it's to overcome the person's resistance of the taking and carrying away. But the to overcome is... But the statute says taking or carrying away. Correct. Right. So it's, so I think it's both in that situation because she did take it, she did carry it away from the point where the bottle was on the shelf past the point of sale into the hallway where that initial scuffle started. 
Um, so I think the to overcome goes both to both taking and carrying away. Unless the court has any other questions, we'd ask that you affirm. Uh, I had just one quick question. Um, you're not you're not claiming that Townsend can be responsible for the fact that the other person took bottles from the liquor store. No, this wasn't an aiding and abetting charge. Um, in hindsight, I think it probably should have been. Uh, it wasn't um, because that person clearly got away with bottles um, and Townsend's use of force assisted and aided in that person getting away, but that was not the charge that was brought. I, I dropped a footnote. I think that adds context um, to the entire situation that was occurring. But we're not considering it. Correct. Because it wasn't charged. That's right. Okay, I think we're good. Thank, Thank you, you Council. Uh, Ms. Nelson, you have five minutes for rebuttal. Okay, just a few comments. Um, I'd like to, to address um, Chief Justice Gilday's hypothetical about what if after Townsend threatened to bite the store clerk and he let go that she just stayed there and didn't move. So the state says that that would still be a simple robbery. That's not true. Um, because she'd already taken the bottle off the shelf. She needs to use the force or threat of force in the taking or carrying away. Taking's already happened. So we're not talking about taking. We're talking about carrying away at that point. She's in the process of carrying away, um, but she doesn't. She gets stopped, threatens to bite the clerk, at that point, that wouldn't be a completed simple robbery unless she continued to move and he completely acquiesced and didn't re-engage. He re-engages her. Therefore, we have an attempted simple robbery. Counsel, it's not really a taking until you walk out of the store, is it? No, it's, it is a taking. As soon as she took it out of, took it off, out of the, off of the shelf and put it in her purse, it, that, that was a simple, that was a yeah, theft. A regular shopper may put something in a bag and then eventually make her way to the counter to pay for it. Correct. But she had the intention, with the, simple, with the theft statute, you have to have the intention of taking something uh, and depriving uh, the person of its... So you're, you're conceding the theft occurred the moment she took it off the Absolutely. shelf and put it in her... Absolutely. That right. was a theft. But it wasn't a simple robber because there was no force used. Okay, so but when we start to talk about what if she moved a foot or she did this during the altercation, I think that goes to show how crazy this can get when we start to slice and dice a uh, ongoing event like this. Um, and one of the other issues that seems to be coming up a lot, again, is whether or not we need to focus on what happens to the victim. Well, we do, because that's what the statute says. What happens, what was the effect of the force? Did it overcome, did it compel acquiescence? That's what the statute says. That's why we focus on it. What was the effect of the force on the victim? Well, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to take um, Justice Lillehog's hypothetical. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if that's a simple robbery or not, but. Uh, I'm going to ask you, what about his conclusion, uh, or the, and I think the admission from opposing counsel, that all purse snatchings are now simple robbery? Is, is that a problem? I think it certainly can be, yes, because it depends on, again, the facts of the case. What happened with the, with the purse snatching? Did you use force to pull it away? If you did, and you used force to take it, and ta taking can be a short uh, time, then yes, that would be a simple robbery. But if the purse was uh, sitting by somebody and they just picked it up, then that would not be a simple robbery. There was no force used. Counsel, I want to go back to what you, um, what I think I heard you say, and, and is, to me it almost sounds like you think it needs to be a, a continuous um, compelling or acquiescence. And I don't see that, when I look at the statute, I don't see that they have to continuously compel acquiescence. And that's why I'm having trouble with the the arg your argument against in the moment when there was the threatened um, the threatened bite and they let go, um, because if I understand you correctly, and please tell me if I'm wrong, it seems that you are saying that that has to be there has to be some sort of continuous action um, to the point of conclusion in carrying out the crime. I, I, not not exactly. I understand what what your argument is or what your thoughts on that are, but it has to at least be a person's passive assent or acceptance to. Not just 
just in general, but to the carrying away. And that didn't happen here. There was no passive assent or acceptance to the carrying away. He recoiled. That's not necessarily uh, compelling acquiescence. So, counsel, let me change the facts a little bit. Let's say your client starts walking away with the bottle, and the manager confronts her, and then she pulls out a jackknife and says, if you don't, if you don't allow me to go, I will stab you. And at that point, do we have a simple robbery? Does he let her go? That's my next question. <laughs> he says, your jackknife doesn't scare me because I've got a Colt 45 here. So because he has a Colt 45, does that mean there's been no robbery? If, if he hasn't consented or sent it to her carrying away the property, yeah. There's a attempted simple robbery, but not a simple robbery because it's not enough just to use force. And that's what this keeps Your coming Your point is to. it's not enough to use force. It has to work. It the force has, has to work. It has to work because otherwise all that language is superfluous and doesn't mean anything. Why not just get rid of it then? Why not just make it the, the, the robber used force? Well, and, we and, and not only... Care what happened. Not only has to succeed, but, I mean, it, it, the, it really turns on kind of when that happens, right? So you're saying that here the clerk never gave up throughout the whole course of the thing. And that's what's really important here, that you can't parse like one part of the struggle with the other part of the struggle. Chief Justice, I'm out of time. May I please, take a moment to please answer? answer the question? Yes. Thank you. Um, absolutely, Your Honor. It must, you must, you cannot parse this through so carefully. It has to be looking at the entire event. Because the clerk here never gave up. Because the clerk never gave up. And we know the clerk never gave up because the clerk said he didn't give up. And, he was and not going to give up till he got those bottles back. And is there any case, law, the similar question I asked Mr. Schmidt, is there any case law where we've decided that one way or another? Like, no, that's, that's okay. what you get to do today. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, we do ask that you uh, reverse Townsend's conviction. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thanks to both counsel for the help you provided to the court. In this case, this matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. All right.